0: Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode, and this show is all about the world of first-person shooters, their legacies, their lineage, and the people who keep that world turning. It is the will of the drowned god, Katala, that we band together to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. This episode of In The Keep is brought to you by QuakeFans.net, your home for all things arena, classic, retro, arcade style, what are old school first person shooters you can't find any place better than QuakeFans.net. Tell us Mango, Motherload sent you. Also, RocketJump.zone weekly quake champions tournaments for europe and north america unleash your competitive spirit and join rocket jump zone fucking awesome man rocket jump zone is great champ is a great guy i highly recommend you go you know if you if you want to play quake champions why would you not join their event i don't get it that's for you to decide speaking of events okay this is a big one if you're into doom you all know Human Bones. He's been on the show a couple of times. He's putting on the mother of all Doom to events. Like, there's never been one like this. At least not in recent memory. So they're celebrating the upcoming release of Doom Eternal. With, hold on, King Dime. Like, basically what happened was, King Dime was like, I want to do a, the biggest Doom tournament ever. But I don't know how to do that. Who am I going to reach out to? And he's like, hey, Multiplayer Doom Federation, you guys are really fucking good at putting on Doom events. Would you like to host my tournament? And then Human Bones was like, fuck, yeah, we do. We're going to fucking do it. Yeah, let's go. So now we got the Take the Crown Doom 2 Dual Tournament, which is coming up, and it will be uh, like five events long, technically. It's like... Yeah, five different dates. So we got a prize pool of $1,000 USD. Tournament dates are, let's see, we got a qualifier on Saturday, February 15th at 3 p.m. Eastern. All the times are going to be in Eastern. I'm not going to repeat that. Saturday, February 22nd. Uh, Another qualifier on Saturday, February 29th. Another qualifier Saturday, March 7th. And then finally, the actual final bracket will be... The Take the Crown finals bracket will be Saturday, March 14th. And I'll be streaming a couple of these. And I'm not sure who will be taking over, but I suspect it'll be someone that you would want to see much more than me. So I hope you enjoy that. (laughs) Fuck, it's going to be cool. And that'll be all hosted on Xandronum. So if you just want to check it out, you know, in server or whatever... If you want any information on this, I just recommend you go to the Multiplayer Doom Federation Discord and get your information straight from the horse's mouth. We are also brought to you by Zedamon, which I know we just got done talking about Zandronum, and holy shit are they awesome, but as you know, I'm a big fan of Zedamon, and you can go play Thursday Night Survival every single Thursday till them motherload sent you it is the best fucking time i'm serious It's it's a party every thursday night eu time so night is relative to wherever the fuck you're at as with all things that we're talking about here but holy crap if you enjoy doom survival you will not have a better time than you do playing tns with z Damon and company make sure you go check out doom is dead radio That is hosted by the MDF, which we mentioned a little bit ago, but that's it. Yeah, Human Bones. Do some interviewing the best people in the Doom community. You can't go wrong with it. It's freaking awesome. As a matter of fact, King Dom was a recent guest on the show, so go check that out. Also, if you just love podcasts and you love this kind of content, which I assume you do because you're listening to me ramble on about this kind of shit, I want you to go listen to quake cast with dump truck and RC and sometimes JCR and just hear how amazing they are. If you're into mapping, if you're in a trench room, if you're just into quake, if you're just into first person shooters as a genre, if you like listening to people who are generally fairly intelligent talk about awesome things, quake cast is the way to go. I just go, go to there, tell them Mother Lord sent you, give them a big kiss on the cheek and have a great time. Alright, that's enough plugs. Let's get into what we're actually here fucking here to talk about. We have the man himself, Kill Pixel Jeremiah motherfucking Fox, in the keep to talk all about his awesome new game, Wrath Aeon of Ruin. And... I've been looking forward to doing this interview for so long. He's incredible. Dude, this game just it delivers. And you're going to hear me babble on, sound like a fucking idiot just just fanboying out for how great I think this game is. If you are a fan of Quake, then you are a fan of Wrath because it's built on the fucking Quake engine and it's modern, it's beautiful, it plays so well. It's atmospheric. It's just everything that you as a fan of this show should be looking for in my opinion. And I really hope that you do enjoy it as much as I do. That said a few things to look out for in this one. So this was recorded in the middle of the day. Uh, We had both been really hopped up on coffee. Uh, I know Jeremiah is taking care of his brand new baby. So give us both a little bit of leeway when it comes to uh, just moving around a bit, I think that we made a little bit of microphone noise that could have been avoided, but hey, that, that happens to the best of us. And overall, it'll, I don't think it detracts from the conversation in any way. Jeremiah was an incredible guest. He was so insightful and so generous with his just vision of what Wrath is and telling me breaking it down for us i shouldn't say me i really don't ever mean to say me on the show because i feel like i'm here to represent us as an audience but he was very generous with his insight into what the intention of and what the direction of and where we're going with wrath and if you were truly a fan of wrath i really feel like this is the interview for you like you're gonna you're gonna just sink in and relax and enjoy it. As I did. That said, the music that you're about to hear is by the great and motherfucking powerful Andrew Holschult. Two in a row. And he did the you know, he did the soundtrack for the game. It's incredible. Please support him, go to his bandcamp page, all that shit, buy his stuff, support every game that he makes, and please support Wrath. It's available now in early access on Steam. Let's get Nikki with Jeremiah Killpixel Fox
1: Jeremiah Fox, aka Killpixel, I and I'm the lead designer of Wrath Eon of Ruin and owner of Killpixel Games. CEO, top man, the only <laughs> shareholder of Killpixel Games. I I really do love
0: the way that uh people get labeled CEOs like I was just talking to Dave Szymanski the other day and like Dave Oshry, right? He's the CEO of like right, this game company known as New Blood. About right. like are they like they're not really? Are they really a company? Because it's just it looks like a bunch of dudes hanging out to me. I don't know.
1: Right. I mean, well, nowadays it's it's pretty easy to set up a company, and you know that's just all yeah. you know technical terms. So I don't. I think being CEO or president or whatever or owner doesn't have as much uh, weight to it as it did back in the yeah. day when that stuff was a bit more rare. But now, now you basically have to have a company to participate in. Yeah. All this stuff.
0: When I think of CEO, I picture like Vincent Kennedy McMahon. You know, big gray suit, like just walking, you know, telling people. Like I don't know, it's cool, man. That's awesome. Right, Uh, walking in,
1: slapping the the secretary's ass. Yes, going back to the office, dropping a stone cold stunner. Exactly.
0: Yes, exactly. Cracking open
1: a cigar like it's a beer. No, Um, but yeah, no. Now I don't even wear pants. So fuck yeah, yeah be awesome
0: so inevitably we're going to end up talking about that game that you made but um we just going to want to start off talking about you a little bit and with sure. that said i'm going to preface the interview right now saying that if anybody here is interested in hearing jeremiah tell an amazing story uh, basically about his entire life's journey and a, just your vision your amazing vision quest that led to you deciding to make this game and then ultimately fulfilling that. That I highly encourage them to go listen to Dump Truck and RC on the Quake cast. It's amazing, but I don't want to make you repeat yourself. So I'm not going to.
1: Yeah, and I don't want anyone up there to sit through that again.
0: <laughs> well, I thought it was that, that was like the most captivating interview I've heard in a long time. There are very few. There's like that one. Uh, there's like when Joe Rogan had that one dude that was locked in prison for like 30 years, falsely mm. accused. Like there are certain interviews that just captivate people. And that was, I don't know if it was the editing or if it's just dump truck and RC being amazing, or if it was just you being amazing talking that day or what, but that, that sold awesome. the game to me. Like, awesome, a, a,
1: yeah. 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 I think, I think, uh, look, trying to look at it objectively, I guess that's a, I can see that's a compelling story. You know, it's a little <laughs> bit different for me, you know, being in it. Cause that was, you know, many years sort of condensed into 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's, but yeah, that's, that's cool. I'm glad you dug it. Yeah, I've, I've gotten that from a couple other people too. That they they liked that um that episode.
0: It was poetic, dude. It just I don't know what it was. Just the way that you delivered your life story, and like you said, it's it opens up with you already talking, and then it, mm, yeah, you, and it, and it, they just dump truck is so good at this. He just sits mm. there silently, unlike me. I'm all jittery and hopped up on either coffee or beer, trying to talk. He's very good at just letting you tell your story and it's a long time with just you talking. And yeah. Then, then you hear like, Oh, that does, by the way, he's being interviewed and there's a whole other part of this, but so good. Man. You, Great.
1: Yeah. There's somebody else here. Yeah. 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 Just motor mouth for 30 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Well, that was also my first time being interviewed. I think this is, you know, my only second, my second time or a podcast anyway. Yeah. Um, so maybe I didn't know the etiquette, but I was just like, just talking, had a lot to say. That's so, the way it should be. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Whatever works. Like, I try to keep it as loose as possible. Like, you, if you want to talk for 20 minutes and me shut up, I'm totally
1: open to that. Cool. Well, if I have diarrhea of the mouth, you know, then that'll happen. Yeah.
0: So, so uh, no, go ahead. You start. You start no, talking. I
1: was, you wanted me to, uh, talk a bit about myself, but then I interrupted you as you were going to ask me something.
0: Okay. Well, now you do that.
1: About myself, well, I I don't know what to to say that I haven't already said. I'm um, um, let's see, what's new since that last podcast? Well, I've got a young one now. My first child was born six months ago, so that's that's new news. Six months old. Let's see, six and a half months old. I, my wife and I can have uh, a running joke. We want to every time someone asks us how old he is for you know until he's like twenty, we want to say it in weeks. You know how you basically do that with their you know they're fresh they're brand new it's like a one week old two weeks old we just want to keep doing that so what is he like 27 weeks old now <laughs> so yeah we're just gonna do that till he's you know like 10 years old yeah he's you know 87 weeks but um yeah so that's been pretty amazing uh interesting timing with the game so he was born in july and we'll see we launched early access in november so that's that's been a handful but really amazing um I'm getting old. It feels <laughs> like something about game dev uh, and being a parent, all of a sudden you've like aged a couple of decades, like in a matter of months, <laughs> not a lot of sleep. No, not a lot of sleep. That's yeah. There wasn't a lot of sleep to begin with. And so now I just kind of like, just forget about sleep. <laughs> you know, if you're sleeping, you're not working. Um, which of course is nonsense. You know, if I don't, if I don't sleep, I'm pretty much useless for the most part. Um, but yeah, just basically since the since the last time I s- spoke last year, it's been just nonstop game dev and uh, baby raising. That's Not a lot awesome. of baby making, just baby raising at this point.
0: A yeah, no, that's that was an interesting development because like, I didn't realize that you'd had a kid during this time, and like I can't think of a more. Uh, I don't want to use the word inconvenient, but like this is a crazy time for you to have a kid, right? As you're kind of on the crux of your, you know, your life's work becoming. Yeah, no,
1: inconvenience is a yeah. is a is an apt description, <laughs> uh, but it's great. You know, I, I, it's yeah. you know would would I change it? That, that doesn't matter because it, it can't be changed. Uh, I'm happy he's here. Love him to death. Um, yes, it's harder, but you know that's life. He'll, the game will be made and be behind me. He will grow, you know, move on to the next project, the next kid, you know. So just enjoying this, you know, configuration of all my life's parts as it exists now because it's all, you know, fleeting and changing. But, yeah, it's, it's a bit difficult.
0: I guess where we kind of want to pick up from where we left off with the, the last publicized interview that you did was basically uh, we, we left off with soon there will be playable content and Mm -hmm. here we are now and holy shit it's amazing uh but i think i'm gonna over time and i hope you don't like want to choke me to death i'm gonna point out i guess some of the things that i'm sure you've already been pointed towards that are like oh this is kind of weird but overall like this game is everything that i could have expected and awesome to, for you to have uh, made such a big promise, I guess I don't I don't know what kind of pressure there is on this. The <laughs> fact that you put you put a lot of pressure on yourself right from the get go, saying like these are the things you can expect from this game, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't really uh, I don't know don't want to put themselves in that kind of position. And I think that maybe it's trial by fire, or maybe you just sit, painted yourself into the corner and you're ready to fight uh, out of it or whatever. But you did it, mm-hmm. and you did it so great, man! I'm really proud of uh, what I'm seeing. Awesome, man come out of the Quake community. That's what's so awesome about this to me, is the fact that it's coming out of, like, these are Quake people. Because there's not a lot of uh, love for Quake right now, and I wish there were more.
1: That's how I feel about it. It's, I think it's awesome that its its origins is, you know, from the Quake community. And that's what I think is so appealing about it. You know, just to me personally, it's, you know, and also regarding criticism, you know, lay it on me. I uh, I would say I'm the game's harshest critic. I'm just... <laughs> You know, I just keep it to myself. You know, in the team obviously don't, you know, go out and say, Oh, this is what I think is wrong with it. Um, but yeah, we've gotten a lot of, you know, feedback looking forward to hearing yours. We're still working on it. You know, it's kind of that's a, am very open to feedback and I'm getting better at you know, before it was I was it was difficult for me to take feedback because a lot of it was stuff not to sound arrogant, but stuff I was aware of. You know, when you yeah. make a game, you're aware of every single facet of it. You yes. know what I mean? You spend every waking hour thinking about it, working on it. So you understand, you know, you know, issues. And the thing with early access, which kind of sucks is like, Oh, you're sending it out and you're all excited. But then there are things it does have issues. It's still, I mean, it's not a complete game. You know what I mean? So there's that kind of like that bittersweet, like, you know, if off, you know, we had more time, it would be, you know, this much better. This thing would be absent. But, you know, part of doing early access was to get that feedback early, even though we'd be getting sort of redundant feedback stuff we already knew, but we'd get, there has definitely been fresh feedback that I was, um not aware of. So we're, you know, obviously looking at that. That sounds so like corporate and fake. Yeah, we're we've got our team looking at that and we'll get back to you. Uh no, but I definitely we all listen to the feedback very closely. Um, no matter how it's presented. Uh, you know, some people make it hard. Sometimes it's like sort of feedback laced with insults kind of thing. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, you look past that and see, you know, what are they actually saying. But yeah, I'm I'm happy that generally people really like it. There are, you know, there are issues that we're ironing out. I'm, I'm happy with it. Uh, there's a lot more to it than, you know, just what's out there. And I'm really looking forward to getting the entire game out there. Cause I think it's going to be, I think more things make sense when the, when, you know, you get the whole picture, you know what I mean? They're just getting it right now. Early access is just a few pieces. Um, you know, especially with the combat, the weapons and the levels. It's like, you have two levels, but you also want to sort of give people a slice of, some of the combat, but you only have a few of the enemies and few of the monsters. So the levels that are here, they progress different differently than they will the in- with the entire game. You know what I mean? Because they'll be, we kind of had to demify each level. Like, okay, we're going to put more enemies in it, more variety, more of the weapons. So you kind of lose that sense of progression because you're trying to kind of condense um, some the progression, which would be sort of you know dispersed among more levels and just to a few. So, but it'll it'll everything will come into focus as more enemies. More puzzle pieces get added, more weapons and more levels, and things sort of, you know, uh, work in context with one another and and take shape.
0: Yeah, and you have the decency to have a roadmap as well, which is nice because holy shit, it's it yeah. seems pretty obvious for like an early access game to do that, but man, not enough people do it.
1: Yeah, it's good to have that. Yeah, so people have you know, and I'll you know, we're actually revising our roadmap now just because it wasn't clear enough. People think it's the game is only five levels. Right, Because that's it's like, okay, we have to say at the end, it's actually 15 levels and three hubs and 10,000 enemies and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, you're talking about pressure with promising all that stuff outright. It's like, well, there's not really a lot of pressure because that was going to happen regardless if it was promised or not.
0: Mm.
1: You know, that was sort of a an internal personal promise and goal. So it's just public. But, uh, you know, that goal was going to be met regardless if people knew about it or not. Um, so there's not a lot of pressure in that regard now, which might might sound kind of weird, but I have total faith that the, all those promises will be met, and um, I'm a firm believer in under promising and over delivering. <laughs> so, hopefully, we can go beyond and really uh, make Wrath something truly special, not just you know, good. You know what I mean? Already, I
0: feel like just the fact of the- that it is what it is kind of makes it special. There's a lot of retro classic uh, whatever you want to call them FPS games kind of popping up left and right and I that's kind of my obsession. Uh Wrath sticks out. I'm not going to necessarily say like there's an obvious quality difference necessarily just the fact that it is its own thing and that it's built on the Quake engine
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it has its own art style, it has its own Thing that's not it's not a like ion maiden right i love ion maiden i think it's amazing but essentially we're looking at a new duke nukem game with a female lead which is great and that's i'm willing to pay for that mm-hmm. uh, wrath stands on its own i would say you know, like it's like at the beginning of a new franchise mm-hmm. not necessarily that it would be a, you know wrath two three four five maybe you do that maybe you don't but just that yeah. it, it feels different it feels like it's
1: completely unique yeah that's kind of what we're trying to you know achieve wrath was never modeled after a particular right game it was just modeled after retro games or I don't really want to say retro but just you know yeah classic 90s games in general Mm -hmm. and even a little bit you know from modern games Uh, so the quake thing was kind of maybe not played up too much but people maybe ran too far with it thinking that we're just doing a quake clone Mm. um which people it turns out some people wanted and were disappointed, like you know the, the the feedback is interesting, you know, not enough light quake, too much light quake, uh but uh you know, we really just want to do our own thing. That doesn't mean we're not gonna be very similar in certain aspects to other games. uh you know a lot of people draw comparisons uh between the nail gun and the fang spitter, you know, they're functionally very similar, visually very similar it's interesting about the visuals is the fangspitter spitter went through a lot of iterations. Cause I wanted to get away from that double barreled yeah. look, you know, like this looks too much like the nail gun, but the way it functions, it's like, you know, you can give it a single barrel that rotates, blah, blah. blah but you know, the way we ended up wanting to function, like we wanted a, th- a wheel with teeth on, it's like, okay, we have to give it two barrels essentially. So it's like, okay, that's maybe why it looked that way originally that it's function just, or that look just sort of a, uh, the function necessitated the, the look. You know, so yeah, there are some direct comparisons in that regard, but then there are I think some unique things. It's a it's a mishmash of different ideas, and I think they work well together. Well, like
0: one of the particular things that I, I expected to see was that it would just have quake movement. And then when we saw kind of the first videos come out of people demoing it, we immediately saw this blade jump dashing thing. And I was like, okay, that's new. Mm-hmm. And then and that was, like, cool to watch kind of in in the gameplay, but until I actually got my hands on it and everyone started to get their hands on it and I could hear people talking about, like, oh, this is going to be so cool. Like, the actually doing it, it's amazing. It's just, like, a totally unique, new, different way to move. And that's such a big part of Quake and, mm-hmm. you know, is the, the unique movement style. And you could have easily just gone the path of, like, well, we're going to have the Quake movement style. And people mm-hmm. probably would have been okay with that. But to come up with this whole new thing
1: is yeah awesome. the melee is really interesting that um took a lot of time because it went through so many different iterations yeah uh, so the melee originally wasn't a movement tool at all it was uh actually i mean i can say this because it's not going to be this way at all but it was actually originally going to be the bfg you could it changed to the bfg at the end of the game <laughs> And it became sort of like this uh, projectile weapon and you charged it and every time you killed somebody with it, like you lit up a rune on the gauntlet and then you could have like a supercharged thing and, and testing it just ended up being really clunky and slow and not something you'd actually use. And before it was even a melee we, we had a went through a lot of back and forth on what kind of weapon it was going to be. Because one thing we want to do is make sure that each weapon is sort of usable in s- different scenarios throughout the game. Right. Uh, you know... Was it going to be an axe like Quake? Uh, for a minute, it was like a scythe. So, uh, like the Grim Reaper. Like the bigger two-handed scythe thing. It's like, okay, Dusk has two scythes. Right. We should avoid that. And then... Um, the melee basically became Doom 2016 Glory Kills. And that got prototyped um, all the way to the end. So, like You could ju- basically could jump up. The enemy would highlight it'd be magnetized so you could actually get a lot of verticality out of it and then you'd launch to them and then launch into a canned glory kill animation and this is stuff that'll probably be shown later like it's all you know there's video of it and all this different testing and uh and that of course ended up being also slow and clunky and we're like let's just we want to not take hold of the game for the player You know, we want them to be free and like, you know, getting them locked into these animations and making it magnetized and you have to wait till things highlight. It's just too constrained. You know, let's just make it a lateral rocket jump and make it strong. So it just jibs things when you slice them. And then that's that's where that came from.
0: Man, I'm glad that you went with that and not the uh, just glory kill thing because. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That might seem that might seem obvious now talking about it, but you'd be surprised, like this, there are so many aspects of this game, and I think just games in general that change drastically. Like I'd, I'd rather just try a bunch of different things mm-hmm. and then just see what kind of works, because a game has so many different moving parts, that something might look good on paper, sort of like the original melee idea, and then in practice, it just sucks. Whereas if you were to describe the melee now, like on paper, okay, a lateral rocket jump, it's strong that it, you might not realize that that's pretty cool until it's actually prototyped. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so we just try a, bu- a bunch of different things, both mechanically, visually, uh, and just, you know, we do a lot of iteration, which might be surprising to some people, you know, given that it's, it's indie and, you know, uh, retro and all that kind of stuff might, people might have a, this idea that you just kind of make it and put it in. Now we've, we've, we've dumped a lot of stuff. You know, enemies have been remade from, you know, the ground up, like remodeled, repainted, reanimated, you know, new AI that kind of stuff. So, trying to, you know, reduce that going forward now that we're it's a uh, little more in focus. This was more toward the beginning when we were really still kind of feeling around. Mm-hmm. But uh but yeah, not, af- not afraid to trash something if it's not working. You we know, we've done that to entire levels. But you got a- pretty amazing support group
0: i would assume with 3d realms and frederick and everything Mm kind of helping you like guide you towards where and not necessarily i don't i don't want to say like they're telling you what to do or anything like that because i don't think they are it seems like they're kind of like helping you achieve your creative vision which is something very rare to find in any publisher Mm -hmm. and that's amazing and
1: no yeah they're very supportive very helpful actually the melee as it is now sort of spawned out of uh, one of fred's suggestions so we were yeah. doing the bfg thing and it wasn't working and he's like well let's try the glory kill thing and we prototyped it and that was the bridge that led to us you know streamlining it yeah like we like this concept of it being mobile which we hadn't thought of before and then we just kind of stripped that back and you know you have the melee that you have now so you know so the, he's been really helpful or 3d realms in general has been helpful in that regard you know and i think also in a way just um you know pressing me on certain decisions making me rethink things or you know in general just brainstorming like this would be cool this would be cool this would be cool and of course also just the resource aspect you know bringing artists onto the team and stuff like that so being able to visualize things with concept art is uh immensely helpful you know designers you know, the invader as it is now would have not existed. Uh, that kind of thing. So, and of course, you know, being able to bring on, you know, quake level designers, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's that, you know, that financial support, that the experience, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's been, it's been really cool.
0: Yeah. If I'm going to project and then you can at any point in time, tell me when I've gone off completely off the rails. Sure. I would just assume that, you know, you, from what I understand of how this works is that you had you know gone through all of this time and then came to them with what ended up being your demo. And of all the amazing places to pick you up, 3D Realms is like that. That's such a name in this genre to me like that. I was just got off the phone with my dad and I was telling him like, hey, I'm going to talk to this guy and he's doing a game for 3D Realms. And he's like, Duke Duke." Him? I'm like, fuck yeah. You know, like yeah. that, that means something. And, and to that generation, it really means something. Um. And I'm glad that they're kind of going this direction, but I'm picturing you kind of like with a block of ice. That's like, I, I want to make this block of ice into, I have this vision. And then you have to find someone who's can guide you or help you achieve the sculpture that you've ended up making and are continuing to make.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And like, it could have been anyone, you know, it could have been a lot of different people. And you ended up with such a great, amazing group of folks to help you do it. That like, that's so, so rare and unique. It's kind of like, making a movie or something or any any creative endeavor that requires multiple people feels like anything that goes right is a miracle. So this is several mm. different small miracles leading to what is ultimately, you know, one big miracle It mm. when it does fully release.
1: Yeah, it's much like that. It is a really, it's a good match, you know. Um, 3D Realms, of course, is legendary, <laughs> especially in, in terms of people who just like playing Classic shooters, you know it was it was a trip seeing three D realms in my inbox. Uh, but uh, you know, and Fred and you know the the new leadership of three D realms, you know, and this is this might sound you know sort of like the word passion is so overused, but yeah. you know Fred is a huge, just uh, not just into games, but especially retro games. Like he is very very passionate, very knowledgeable, uh, and just really loves that genre of games. Like you can talk to him, like you can get as nerdy and dorky and specific about a certain, you know, aspect of whatever sort of unknown retro game and he'll be like, oh yeah, da, da da like that's so cool the way, you know, this pixel does, you know, that kind of thing. Like he's he's so he's he's really into these games, really knowledgeable. So and his I his idea for 3D realms and his focus really resonated with kind of what i wanted to do like basically my my focus for Killpixel games and his you know focus for 3d realms they really uh uh overlapped and and meshed really easily so it was it was i think a no-brainer sort of uh to team up so so it's that's it's been really good and uh you know like i said they there's that all that previous experience and interest and passion and this kind of thing. But also this sort of respect and understanding of, you know, artists and people who are making a game. So like when I need people to back off kind of thing, like there are too many cooks in the kitchen. It's like totally get that da da da. Or if, you know, I'm like, I need help doing this or I can't, you know, this is a this is a uh, something I'm not able to visualize or whatever. It's like, well, you know, here's all our great concept artists and here's my two cents. And we'll, you know, let's bounce this around that kind of thing and brainstorm. So it's. So it's um it's been really good.
0: That's amazing, dude. I'm so yeah. I'm just so psyched and happy for you in that record.
1: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah, it's it's been great. So uh couldn't complain. And I've actually been thinking about what would Wrath look like with, you know, if I was just on my own with a different publisher or studio or whatever and I, you know, cuz it, it there would still it would still be Wrath, but yeah. I just look at how things have changed. Being with three D realms, like for 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 example, Wrath as it is now with a hub system and a journal and all that kind of stuff was what I had originally in the game document. And it was, I realized, you know, not had not being not having not made a game and you know, or really any experience or really any knowledge. I was like, this is way too much to do. Like when you really think about, like it, it might seem easy on the surface, like oh, it's just a hub, but even that just presents a whole bunch of issues, you know, design wise, technical issues. It's like, okay, I'm just going to make it basically a straight, I'm just going to strip all this away. No journal, you know, no, this, no, that, uh, no hub, just linear levels. Be more quake, like, you know, I'll reduce the number of levels. I'll reduce the, you know, just everything kind of just got shrunk down. Uh, the the number of themes, that kind of thing. And, uh, and that's how, you know, I was really open with 3D Ones when we started, like, okay, this is sort of the new version of Wrath. This is kind of how it was before. And, you know, we developed that for a while or kind of went along that path as we were trying to, like, you know, feel things out, see, look at what I had already. You know, what was good, what was bad, what could be, you know, expanded upon. And um, it was, I started wanting to get more back to the original vision of having the hub world and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think Fred was having that same sort of vibe concurrently. And we kind of met up and you're like, we kind of reassessed the whole hub world thing. And we both agreed that that should be the the way to go. So that ended up, so it ended up going back in that direction. So in a way that, so that sort of brought back wrath to what it was originally intended to be. So, um, and we just made it bigger and better so if i was if i was on my own wrath would be very much smaller in scale be more like a quake clone in that regard a little more safe um, but you know now that there's i actually have like a support structure wrath can be more fully realized
0: with the hubs uh the, you just got done talking about a little bit i i really like that aspect of the game and i i did want to Kind of draw a comparison. It, it kind of felt like uh this was going to progress, maybe like like a Crash Bandicoot game, like the third one, if I remember correctly, where it's like you ha- you can play the the levels in any order that you want. We've already started to see that in the demo. We have two levels currently playable. That is really interesting, and I wanted to ask a, a like a series of questions about how this works. Okay. So, first of all what I love about this game in particular, this is something I wrote several people about, like the day of me playing it for the first time was like, I love the level design in that it, it, it feels like it's very gently steering the player to where you want to go, but it also doesn't feel linear at all. And that mm-hmm. is an amazing like accomplishment. Is that your work? Like who's doing that?
1: Um, Yeah, that was a really, we were really conscientious of that aspect from the get go. Basically the idea is, the overall structure of the level is linear, but it's sort of made up of a, some, like, basically loops that loop back on it, on yourself. So, like, you'll enter an area, like a main sort of room or area, and then it has these pathways that will branch off and just circle on back. So, it's basically a a, a series of pseudo-nonlinear areas, if that makes sense. So, the overall progression is linear, but there are some pa- some branching paths and things like that. And we didn't want to be, you know, obviously we didn't want to be we didn't want to lead the player by the nose either there was that sort of that exploration aspect you know it lends itself well to the hub system and all that kind of stuff so we just wanted the levels to be a little bit more organic a little bit open you know the hub itself some people find it to be confusing or getting lost they get lost or don't know where right. to go but you know i'm okay with allowing the player to not sort of have a waypoint or compass for a minute or two I mean, they, they ultimately can't get lost. The hub is a closed area. You have to walk around for like 30 seconds till you, you know, you really can just walk out the main cave, look to your right, and there's a portal. So there's already one way to go. Um, so I'd rather the player explore and discover things themselves over the course of a few minutes than immediately enter a space and have an objective marker kind of thing. Whether it be like an overt, like actual waypoint kind of thing, or just maybe having the environment overly direct to player. I think it sets like a tone and
0: an atmosphere, you know, just for exactly what you just described. It's like it, you can't get lost. It is a closed area, but it feels like, like you can. And Mm -hmm. and I know that you kind of see it from, you made it. So, you know, every nook and cranny and corner, like the player experience, at least from my perspective was like, I'm I'm not lost, but I I feel like I am. Like I, I it's mm-hmm. such a it's a tone, and it's it's really I don't know. It's like artistic. That's kind of the whole tone I get from this game. Is it it just feels atmospheric in every way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, that's absolutely the plan, and I'm, I'm I'm glad we're succeeding so far. Um, you know, it's maybe I don't want to say meta in that way, but mm-hmm. it's definitely an indie game, in that we can kind of get away with not you know, giving you a screen prompt every time you come up to something that's interactable. Right. Um, And I think that um, it's important to value, you know, of course, value a player's time. You don't want to waste their time, get them lost and that kind of thing. But you also want to value their intelligence and allow them the opportunity to explore and discover and figure out things themselves. Mm -hmm. So it is a balance. You don't want to be unfair or obtuse but you don't want to be obvious either. So we're, we're still kind of figuring out that balance, but I think we're on the right path.
0: With the uh, with what I was saying earlier about how the levels feel nonlinear and how, you know, the hub, you can kind of visit them in, in different orders. With that also comes that there are these chest-looking things that are kind of sitting mm-hmm. around, and I'm I'm getting the feeling that there's going to be some replayability as well. Like, mm-hmm. go back and, like, as you acquire new upgrades and items, you'll be able to kind of, like, open up new areas or, like, acquire new things?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, there's there's going to be some inter-level stuff that can, you know, we're we're looking at that, how far we want to go. Mm-hmm. You know, because you don't, you don't really have a, a player upgrade system. Right? right. you can get artifacts, but you don't necessarily learn abilities. Um, but we'll probably have interlinked um, stuff between levels like you know there's a there's this locked thing here in this level but if you go here you can sort of unlock it or maybe uh you know, a, maybe a, a more grand puzzle that requires doing something in every level that maybe unlocks something in a hub something like that um we, we don't want to veer, veer too far into the puzzle thing but you know replayability is also another focus the a, a recent a fairly recent change was making So the way the hub system worked originally was, so you had the hub and you had all the portals, but only two were unlocked at a time or one or two. And then you had to go in there, find something called glyphs or keys or something like that to unlock other portals. So you had basically this linear contrivance in a open world, nonlinear setup, which is the hub. So that was, that was kind of weird. It's like, okay, well, how about we just, make them all unlocked and you can play them in any order and the difficulty scales with you know whatever you already played it so that means each level we had this you know this non-linear system with this sort of this linear contrivance which, which was locking portals so it's like okay let's just make them all unlocked and then we'll just scale the difficulty dynamically of course that's that sounds easy on paper but that's actually pretty challenging um But So replayability should be totally maxed out because, I mean, I'm not great at math, but you can play each hub very differently. You know what I mean? So uh, And then, of course, you've introduced the actual difficulty settings as well, which change the configuration of some of the monsters, some of the items. And then you have that in conjunction with what order you're playing a level. So it's going to be super, super replayable. That is fucking genius. Yeah, it's a design challenge, but I think it's cool uh I, I don't know of a game that or an f p s that does that i'm i'm no doubt they exist, uh but I can't think of one off the top of my head but yeah, <laughs> so that was a fairly new fairly new addition but yeah, it solved the problem of you know being linear it's like we have this great hub, why are we making it linear but also you know makes it replayable you know for me i when i when i like a game i mean i play it over and over and over again, over and over again. Like if I really like a game, I try to not play it too much. Like System mm-hmm. Talk, Shock 2, for example, I'll play that like once a year. You know what I mean? Just because sure. I don't want to like, you know, get burned out on it all the time. You know, I but I revisit games I really like. I play them, replay them often. And it, and it gets, you know, every time you play it, you lose a little bit of, you know, that freshness. So I think uh, by making something super replayable, it kind of helps add that. Yeah freshness to back into it so
0: that's that's the thing that i kind of always have in my mind is that i know a lot of people are really into like i've talked to speed runners and people the people that are just really into figuring out how a game works and like taking they just take all of the uh, the nuance of it and just kind of flush that right out of the window they want to get straight to the how do i kick its ass in the most completely defeating way i possibly can
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: for me, at least, just the experience that I prefer to have is, as you said, to keep it fresh and to, like never feel like the atmosphere is gone, or never feel like the, I don't know, the spell has been broken or something. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be outside the matrix when I'm in a game. Right. I have enough of that in real life.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah no, that's that's how I feel. Now you actually, you bring up an uh, or you said something that kind of made me think about something I thought, uh, thought about before, which was speed running. Mm-hmm. and how they're going to figure out the different configurations of enc- of combat encounters depending on what order you play a level. So there's probably going to be optimal um combinations like you do right. this level first and then this level second and all that kind of stuff and that's the literally the fastest route. Uh which is kind of interesting. I mean, I don't know if it'll have that much of a bearing on it. I don't know how ra- I don't think uh it'll be that radical of a change that, you know, and, and this enemy being over here, or this enemy being this type of enemy, will make a difference. But maybe it will. You know, I'm not a speedrunner, so. But that's pretty interesting. It'll be it'll be cool to see the end product and what uh, speedrunners do with it.
0: I just got done talking to the It Burn, who did Nightmare Reaper Bruno, mm-hmm. and he, you know, because his game is like randomly generated, and even he was talking about how speedrunners were already starting to figure out how to break it. Like, I don't think there's anything <laughs> that can't be figured out. -mm. They'll definitely figure out how to like, just boil your game down to the the simplest, most linear path that they can, and that's great. I'm glad that that exists. It's just not the way that I prefer to experience a game, especially a game like this that is. I'm going to keep repeating myself, but it's so atmospheric and so like driven by the way it makes me feel, not necessarily Mm -hmm. what I do in it. You know,
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, that's funny you pick up on that because a lot of the stuff was described that way in the document based on feeling which is sort of a nebulous thing because people respond differently to different things you know so but it but what it was sort of the direction of or did sort of dictate the direction of certain things like you know each hub was described like this is the mood or these are the series of emotions and sensations someone should feel like that was a a focus so we you know we had the mechanical stuff sort of explained but also i spoke very much in terms of feeling when describing the entire game so and I, i'm glad that's kind of showing through because to me that's a big part of it is you know yes there's the mechanical aspect which is incredibly important and all that kind of stuff but you know just the aesthetic and just the emotion you know i think of it not what it not what is the aesthetic you're trying to achieve but what is the
0: what is the emotion you're trying to evoke in the player
1: exactly and then yeah. what how do you do that exactly
0: I think you and I are birds of a feather man, I think we have that same like if we were four lenses, probably a little orange a little blue in there that
1: mm-hmm. gets
0: hidden behind something right. else i'm not I'm not sure, but yeah, it sounds like we're speaking the same language, which is an unspeakable language in a certain <laughs> way it's impossible to express a feeling right in words
1: and ineffable brothers,
0: but you did it in a fucking game that's that's what's so fucking cool about this game to me, at least it's just. that the level design even like just getting on that little bit of a tangent we did about it 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 got too like too much i don't want to know anymore i don't want i don't want to know i just want to feel the way right. it is yeah
1: well the, there'll be there'll be some surprises and new things you know like i had said before each hub has a specific focus um mm-hmm. you know even thematically you know, like emotionally you know what kind of feelings should the player feel overall and right. so for for the, the, the first hub, it was overall was sort of um, like somber, um, yeah. m- mysterious, kind of sad, a little, you know, little anxiety because it's kind of, you know, some scary stuff. But mostly just sort of um, maybe not nostalgic, but sort of like you're seeing traces of loss kind of thing, like the themes of loss and yearning and, you know, sort of somberness was sort of the overall sort of vibe. Um, Everything's just sort of, you know, fairly dilapidated, just traces of, you know, life and death, you know, tombstones, you know, the the classic stuff, but, you know, darker, but still there's some pretty stuff too. Like it's not just grim and gray, you know, there's stars and planets and clouds and plants and water and snow and stuff like that. But it's, it's just sort of melancholic, sort of morose. And then, so that's sort of the overall, the overarching theme for that hub and all the levels within it and each each level will have sort of a different focus within that and then you know later hubs will have you know some of those elements but those will be turned down and then other elements we that i haven't mentioned here and i won't just to keep it as a surprise will be so there'll be fresh fresh feelings for everybody <laughs> yeah Amazing. each each hub yeah so and i think it'll be cool I'm really looking forward i'm really looking forward to the second chapter i, th- I think that's going to be I think people are really going to like it. What a coincidence, me too. It's going to be sweet. You know, and the third one, you know, they all have these different focuses and mechanical focuses too. Yeah. You know. Some people talk about the game being easy. Of course, when we first shipped there was a bug that all the damage was 50% of what it normally <laughs> should be. Tiny oversight. Uh so but yeah, you know, people talk about the game being too easy. It's like, well, it's, you know, the first two levels out of 15, you know, half the enemies so there there will be you know mechanical focus changes as well and combat will be uh more demanding of the player.
0: I feel like there was a uh, a response from a lot of people who played it right when it came out that like is oh, that's it? That's it's over now? Like I'm done because you know sometimes people miss that it's early access. For me personally, I just could I, I was just kind of so lost in like the way that it made me feel that I didn't realize what I was supposed to be doing, so I mm-hmm you know would kind of like run through a level and then i would forget that i was even looking for a key and then mm-hmm. i'd run around for a while and then I'd be like oh i'm gonna go get that rune thing and then I'd go back and i didn't know what to do with it so i went to the next level and beat it and then i come back and i'm like all right i guess i should do that the next thing
1: mm-hmm. and then i
0: ended up finding i didn't even know you know there there was this area that i was supposed to go take the runes to and stick them in i found that mm-hmm. and then bam you're done i'm like oh fuck like i just got yeah. so wrapped up in what I was doing that I forgot what I, what my goal was that it ended mm-hmm. up coming very suddenly to me when it was over.
1: You know, that's often how I play it. I often play games just to sort of absorb the atmosphere. You know, I know doom three is a contentious game, especially among retro shooters. I love I, it. I love it atmospherically. Like I still walk through it all the time and just mm-hmm. look at stuff. You know, I, I like dark broody games. I love, you know, games like I mentioned earlier, like system shock Two. I yeah. like, just dark scary games especially you know doom three to me is great because it's to me I, it just feels very real I like the way it makes me feel I like the atmosphere I like the claustrophobia you know you strip it away to just its mechanical elements yeah you're just in a corridor clicking on things you know shooting things and they you know they're, they're they're not really challenging but that's sort of like the secondary thing to me for that game of course with wrath we're really trying to do both like I really like the classic doom games where it's basically you know, real time 3d complicated chess. You know, I, uh, I just love the, the mechanical demands on the player of the classic doom games, especially like, especially plutonium experiments. I think that's masterfully crafted, but you know, can we do something like that, but still have a setting that's atmospheric and interesting and detailed, but not noisy and doesn't interfere with the gameplay or the, the actual mechanics of the game. Um, and, you know, we'll see more of that later in Wrath because, you know, with this early access and especially just the first hub, it is much more leaning he- more heavily on the atmosphere uh, and the combat is sort of just sort of an introduction.
0: Have you seen people that do like these no enemy mods where they kind of take a game and just re- they remove literally all the enemies so that they can just walk around and appreciate the atmosphere of it like that? I have that's not so seen weird. that now. Yeah. They do it with like Dark Souls or, you know, like anything. Mm. You could do, Apparently you could do this with whatever you want, but like, yeah, just they literally do that just so they can kind of walk around and explore the world without having to worry about everything else, which I mean, I don't necessarily want to do that, but I get why the desire mm-hmm. is there. As you said, it is, it is nice to just soak it in.
1: Right. And, you know, and for yeah. games like that, you know, that are really atmospheric mm. for Doom 3, Doom 3, for example, like I think the combat's fine because it doesn't, it to me that game's strength is the environment, the atmosphere, right. and if it was super demanding mechanically, I think it might step on that a bit too much. So I think it's a fine, fine balance. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, games like Bioshock, I love just walking around and you know hearing all the water and looking at all the the pretty art and listening to story logs and stuff like that. But you know, yeah. then of course sometimes I just want to kill stuff and I play you know a Doom Water or something. <laughs> But yeah, so, it's definitely it's a it's an interesting balance.
0: Yeah, I, I mentioned I was going to bring up. I don't, know, I don't. I'm not trying to point out anything like say to make the game look bad. Just some things that continually kind of go for I it will come up. Uh, one of them was everybody was bitching about the enemy AI. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of dumb, especially the big floaty guy that's just a giant mouth. Oh yeah, like, <laughs> he would like follow me to an opening, and I'll just back up and just watch mm-hmm. him. Yep, you can't come in here. Get stuck. You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the AI is, you know, it's a tough nut to crack. We're cracking it. We're working on it. Um the thing is, is so why this is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh it's Quake. You know, the game is ultimately just right Quake. Now, AI works a little bit better in Quake, you know, it was it was, it was it's functionally a little bit different, but if you really strip away the levels in Quake, you're basically in boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, boxes are pretty easy for enemies to navigate. There are fewer enemies in Quake, uh, per you know, given in a certain area. So there's, it's easier for to have a, a an enemy traverse a single enemy in a single room and it can traverse it pretty easily. But when you have all these different enemies of different sizes, some walking, some flying, and they're on terrain, there are props like big trees and tombstones. It just gets hung up. You know, each enemy is a box. Yeah, you know, we don't have different hit boxes. It, it, every every enemy is just a box, right. um, and so it's easy to get snagged on corners and stuff like that. Uh, like in Quake, vanilla Quake, enemies don't know that there's like a wall in front of them. Uh, they just kind of keep walking, and get stuck. Like they don't they don't really have an, a sense of their surroundings. Now we tried stuff before that was just too performance heavy where ai was a lot smarter like it was basically sending out traces all the time and knew exactly where a wall was and all that kind of stuff but with the size of our levels and the amount of enemies it basically slowed it to a crawl um so yeah we're definitely working on the ai now uh we're working on basically it's a level design side um being more conscientious of encounters what enemies to put where uh, we're also placing a base, essentially hints for enemies now, like mm-hmm. especially near doorways. You know, a lot of enemies will get stuck in a corner or like on the other side of a wall. Like, so the player's aggroed an enemy that runs through a doorway and then you know strafe's right or something. Now there's a wall between the enemy and the player. The enemy will just keep on walking into the wall, right? Because it doesn't know it's there. So one of the things we're doing is we're essentially placing hints all over the place. So if an enemy walks into the wall, he'll turn and go to the doorway kind of thing or go somewhere else or see where the player was last, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, player enemy navigation is pretty weak right now, but we're, we're on top of it. Dope. So uh, the other complaint,
0: it's not really a complaint, but just like something that bothered me at least. And I, I think a few other people, and I think you addressed this in, in the first patch that came out, but people were having issues with the artifacts and in particular, the soul tether and how it worked. It wasn't Mm -hmm. exactly obvious, you know, to the player, what they were supposed to do with these things. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you get into that a bit? Like how that ended up being the way it was and how it is now.
1: Yeah. That's a, that was a number of things, you know, with early access, some things I was like, this, this will probably change, but Mm -hmm. I want to see how it works, how it works out. You know, that might sound terrible, but you know, It's just like okay, this let's just test this design because it is you know, we can't really test it in our closed right little thing, so like let's just really see how it goes. I kind of had a hunch the soul tether was gonna have to be removed from the artifact menu. Um, one because you're using it so often, you know, it, it's clunky to go into the artifact menu every time you want to save. One yes. thing I didn't quite get until I saw people play was they forgot to save because they didn't have a reminder. I'm like, okay, so if we move it onto the HUD. It'll also function as a reminder, right? And it'll and it'll have the indicator of how much they have, you know. So that so that was sort of a no brainer. Another thing is, you know, I was talking about not being intentionally obtuse. I think uh, we in the early access we maybe are a bit wanting on screen prompts. Like, yes, there's a screen prompt for the artifact and that kind of stuff. Um, I saw some people not figuring out or weren't they weren't able to figure out how to open a switch or use a switch for example to press e mm-hmm. you know my fallback was okay you know the manual should be in the journal just be integrated into the game but you know people didn't think to look into the manual I thought maybe people would do that to find a, a key bind so I think when, what we're gonna one of the concessions we're gonna make is we are gonna have a screen prompt once for every single mechanic whether it's use or whatever so the first switch you see there will be a use, prompt like this is you know e is use. Same thing with crouching. People one the the main thing that I think really escape people is you can crouch to at the top of your jump to reach higher levels or a space you wouldn't otherwise be able to reach much like Half Life and Counter Strike, you know, gold source games basically. So right. there are ledges and stuff that people try to lunge onto when you can just jump and crouch. <laughs> uh, so there was no crouch prompt in early access. You know, and the thing with the full game though is it's actually going to have a whole start level before the hub. It's basically going to be a tutorial, a very Good. brief integrated, like, you know, you walk through this thing. Here's a, here's a, you know, fallen thing at the crouch under, you know, just the, the basics. A quake tradition. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, basically. But, uh, you know, and I think there's going to be more explanation of, on how artifacts work and we'll probably have it to where, you know, once you use it, you kind of figure it out. But I think people are reticent to use artifacts because when you collect something, it automatically triggers that hoarding mentality. Right. You know what I mean? I don't want to use this until I absolutely have to. Which is kind of funny because artifacts were a response to in-game, or like uh, power-ups you pick up once. Like in Doom for example. Like when I was playing Doom 2016, I would never pick up the Megaspheres or anything like that. You know what I mean? I'd keep waiting until I really needed it, and then all of a sudden the encounter would be over, and I'd pick it up and it'd wear out before I even, you know, found another enemy. So it's like, okay, if we can just make everything use it when you want it, we can avoid that problem altogether, but now people aren't using the same. It's the same problem as carrying over people are just hoarding it. So, uh, you know, so it's like, well, now we got to make it hard enough to where they got to use their life siphon, that kind of thing. Instead, they just die. So, uh, it's, that's still another nut. That's hard to crack. We're figuring it out. I'm not sure I even answered your question.
0: (laughs) No, Uh, but it led me to another thought too. And yeah, I remember starting off, the conversation i said something akin to how you, it seems like you enjoy painting yourself into a corner mm. uh, it, where you, every every time you make a decision to do something like that just it contained within the statement that you just made right how you're like okay if i change this thing or you know if we make the decision to have these in a menu rather than be a one-time use type thing but then that triggers the hoarding mentality like you've already gone on three or four different tangents of like things that you're going to have to compensate for later you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying Mm -hmm. Um, first of all it's no go ahead no you go ahead it's amazing that you thought of that you know uh, the fact that you said the word the sentence that triggers the hoarding mentality Uh, Mm. that's it's important i think that you recognize that because a lot of people don't recognize that at all that is something that i struggle with tremendously like i there's a Recent video of me playing Quake with, uh, I don't know, you know JCR, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so I was playing one of his maps, and he kept making fun of me because I, I would default to, like, an easier weapon. Like, I would try to use the nail gun and never use my rockets because I'm so into that. Like, I do not want to waste my good weapons or my, my good mm-hmm. ammo or good items or anything like that. Um. So, yeah, it's, it's actually... That's a lot of things that you're having to balance and just manage there to achieve the vision, I guess, that you ultimately want to.
1: Right. You know, and one thing to keep in mind is there's no perfect answer for anything. Right. There are so many different people, so many different approaches, mindsets that you can't, there's not a a perfect answer that solves all problems. It's sort of like, you know, what works best in the game and what works best for the most people and how can we mitigate any lingering issues um one of the reasons there's a cap on how many artifacts artifacts you can have is it does force you to use them eventually you know what i mean like if, yeah. okay i i know there's a life siphon back there i'm maxed out that means i can use this if you're like if you're like a super hoarder like okay i can use this one in this next engagement and then go back and get it and i'm maxed out again <laughs> um, also it's so that's the reason and also just for balance reasons You know what I mean? So you can't get, like, to the end of the game, like, all right, I've got 9,000 life siphons. I can just keep popping them, and we're good to go. And then just beat something that could be, you know, that was meant to be a little more challenging or something like that. So, it's just, it's it's just when you have something that's limitless, all sorts of unforeseen things can happen. It can create
0: a bottleneck, right?
1: Right. So, by, by putting limits on things, it's a little bit more controlled, and you have a, it's, there's, it it lessens the number of, you know, sort of chan- tangent uh, scenarios. As you said, with uh, carrying the
0: life, if you were able to just carry them all until the end and then keep popping them right at the end, that would ruin, potentially ruin the final, you know, encounter or whatever it ended up being that you're doing. Right. You know, it, it won't feel as difficult if you've just hoarded up all your weapons to the end of it. Of
1: Yeah. Or may not just be as fun. Like, imagine if you could just keep on popping cruel aegis all the time. Like, I am mm-hmm. a 10 health, but I'm also invincible for yeah. you know, 40 minutes. Well, that's not... To me, that's not fun. <laughs> uh, as a player, I'd be like, oh, that's kind of lame. But, you know... But some people might like that. It's like, oh, I sh- that should be my reward for not using them for 15 levels or whatever. You know, that kind of thing. But... But yeah, I think one thing people don't quite understand is every single, with a game, and Wrath is admittedly a very simple game. Mm-hmm. You know, compared to the games out there now, like everything is so complex and they have so many people, so many talented, experienced people doing these things. Uh, I think people don't quite understand that every decision you make in a game affects everything else to some degree. Um, and so when you have an idea or someone who makes a suggestion, you don't just have to like, Assess it on its own merits, you have to basically check it against every single thing that's already in the game. well, how will that affect this and if does that change this and if it does, what does that affect and then what does that affect it's it's like this domino thing so it's a uh, you know it's a game is like a house of cards, and even just nudging one of the cards could make everything else shift one hundred percent it's
0: cut complexity leads to entropy you know the simpler something is the easier it is for it to function dependably mm-hmm. like right. that that's just part of game design that the fact that you recognize that and recognize it early on in your career like this is amazing like that's going to carry you i think a long way just knowing that ahead of time that you can't you're not setting yourself up to be disappointed
1: right i hope and, so yeah it's good dude yeah definitely looking um looking forward to doing games beyond wrath i'm obviously completely focused on wrath right now and but just the amount of stuff i've learned you know this has been a invaluable um experience just just you know learning so much uh that it's like okay wow so that means the next game you know this will be easier this will be easier i know this can be done here you know as to the course of working on wrath like it, I, I discover something and go wow i'm saving this for later because yeah we can't use it in this game or it doesn't fit here but this is totally doable in this kind of game right you know what i mean so but yeah it's uh it's been really cool
0: all right uh last tangent for me and then i'll let you get out of here dog sure uh i just want to talk a little bit about the promises made in the roadmap particularly modability and multiplayer this is mm-hmm. uh that's important to the listeners of the keep is co-op and PVP, uh, which are you, are you saying both? It just says multiplayer and it's not very clear. So right. what are we planning?
1: So initially um, we speak to co-op because that's the only thing that's kind of changed. Right. Um, initially before the hub system uh, we had, we we're going to have just co-op, which you can do in a linear set of levels. You can't really do co-op in an open set. So, we still want co-op, but, but we're thinking about making, I say co-op? Co-op, uh, but <laughs> making it um, a new set of levels, sort of like Portal 2, like designed for co-op mm-hmm. kind of thing, like this, all these uh, engagements and stuff are meant for two people. Uh, because I think co-op now in the single player game would be very problematic, and we don't want to change the single player game t- to work with the co-op stuff you know what i mean we don't want to compromise on the single player experience to make it sort of doable in co-op so that's still something we're trying to figure out how we're going to do co-op uh multiplayer yeah definitely on it deathmatch uh of course you know team deathmatch probably various game modes you know the, the your typical stuff like capture the flag game, the little stuff like that but uh and then maybe some unique modes using some of wrath's mechanics mm-hmm. uh definitely working on multiplayer i think it's gonna be great i i don't play a lot of arena shooters i i like tack shooters i play a lot of counter-strike right um but you know i i, I do like um you know around unreal sometimes quake 3 you know those are fun um uh, but there's a several people on the team that are big into multiplayer so they'll be handling a lot of the levels but uh, so that's happening. What was the other thing? Oh, mod support. And of course, mod support is a huge focus. Absolutely. So that's that hasn't changed at all. Uh, you know, I from the beginning I thought Wrath not should shouldn't just be something you can modify, but can be the foundation of a completely new game. Yeah. You know, because it is ultimately Quake. But I think some of the thing with Quake is well that I that I discovered is the info on how to really mod the engine or work with it to this degree where you're basically making a game, the engine or the info is kind of sparse <laughs> and all over the place. Uh, it, sometimes it's just like a little a little nugget of info that some guy left in a forum post 12 years ago. You know what I mean? And that's the only info about this certain thing. So uh, one of the things I want to do is you know make sure all that's sort of condensed into a singular document. <laughs> so modders can approach Wrath with, okay, here's all the stuff I know you know, that you're going to need to know. And here's all the tools and here are tutorials and how we did things. So yeah, going to be very transparent on how we do things, uh, and just show you exactly how we did it internally and, you know, provide as much information as we possibly can. So not only can you make mods, but you could use it to make your own game. Sick. That's amazing, yeah. dude. Well, I think it's, um, I'm, I've, uh, I love open source stuff. Mm -hmm. I I think it's important for things to be open source and um, not just technically open source. Like, yeah, here you have access to the source code, but also, you know, open with information just to make because it's kind of a waste when you have something that's, yeah, there's code here. There's these tools here, but there is a barrier to entry. Um, So if that barrier to entry can be lowered, I think all the
0: better. I think there's definitely a lot of benefits for sure to open source and that people can, you know, get their hands on a lot of different minds can put their work into it and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's a, another side of that coin that often gets ignored and that people don't recognize that if you do like, say you were making like a a multiplayer port and I've talked about this a bit with like doom stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you just made, make it open source, people can really take advantage of it and use it to hurt other people's experience which Mm -hmm. I don't think you're going to have a problem with, you know, because it's kind of like, you know, just take this tool and make whatever you want out of it. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That'll work, but I don't, I don't know. Just something about the whole, like everything's got to be open source thing. I feel like if we perpetuate that everything just should be, it can give people the wrong idea about everything doesn't work that way. It's, it's not a completely one-sided story is all I'm trying to
1: say. No, and I agree with that. Yeah. You know, but for, for things like this, that one are already are open source. I definitely want to, perpetuate oh, yeah.
0: that hell yeah you know? it's got a bible now like basically of like hey if you're thinking about making mods for this sort of thing here's a whole uh road like uh, not roadmap here's a whole like map of how you would do that that doesn't exist currently i think dump truck is the closest thing we have to right that.
1: he is yeah yeah but yeah hopefully it'll be easier and i'm really looking forward to seeing what you know people do with that you know because there are a lot of creative individuals that maybe that creativity is not expressed in whatever game you're doing just because it's, you know, they're not, maybe they don't have the time or interest in looking through forum posts, that kind of thing to try to piece things together. But if you give them the tools, they can just jump in and just, you know, you know, get going. Yeah. How
0: many genius mappers exist out there that just, they weren't meant to be, you know, handling code or they weren't meant to be, you know, just, just, Rummaging through the bin, but they potentially right, exactly. could have been, you know, made the greatest map ever had they had the resources to just jump in and do that.
1: Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Or maybe they just encountered like one bug or one, you know, sort of stumbling block that could have mm-hmm. been easily figured out had they just had there been information present, that kind of thing. Right. So, but yeah, multiplayer is going to happen. Mod support going to happen. It's all there. So. I don't, don't plan on reneging on any promises made sick.
0: Well, that's so. all I have for you, man. Cool. I uh, really appreciate your time.
1: Uh, I appreciate it. It's, it's, it was cool to be on here. Talk about wrath some more. Uh, again, thank you for your, you know, patience and getting me on here. I know, you know, like I said, the kid, the game, but <laughs> it was, I'm I'm glad we finally did this it's not a problem dude you
0: want to plug anything social media stuff whatever uh, websites people should visit I'll have it all
1: in the notes too uh, you know the 3d realms discord if you want to contact me uh, ask me questions about wrath make suggestions complain praise whatever you want to do just talk you know, or just you know be in the conversation just join the uh, 3d realms discord and there's a wrath uh, channel in there and um, usually always in there right on all right Appreciate it, man.
0: All right, all right, all right, all right. Like I said, go check out Wrath Aeon of Ruin. It is available for purchase in early access right now. You can get it on Steam. It's amazing. I can't recommend it enough. If you're not sold by that interview, I don't know what will sell you. So, you know, whatever. Make sure that you support Andrew Holsholt. He's playing the music that you are currently hearing. Also, the entire soundtrack to this game, as well as many others, including Proteus, Dusk, and Nightmare Reaper. Remember to check out Quake Fans Radio, hosted by Smengo, every Saturday morning on YouTube. Give him a shout. Tell him Motherload sent you. Go check out Doom Is Dead podcast, hosted by Human Bones, and. some of the multiplayer doom federation and quake cast which is hosted by dump truck and rc until next time stay in the